and it's a great pleasure to welcome you to this pre-show introduction to Carmen. So tonight we're, we're joined by Chloe Christian, staff director on this show, Valen Valentina Pileggi, tonight's conductor, and Richard Langham-Smith, um, the expert on Carmen, really, and a research professor at the Royal College of Music. So please join me in welcoming our guests. Wonderful. And uh, just to put Carmen a little bit in context before we start talking, uh, I've, I've got a slide up. And um, Bizet's Carmen was premiered in Paris in 1875, composed by Bizet. Uh, he's that one. Uh, from a novella by Prosper Merimee, who's over there on the right. And uh, the wonderful thing about Merimee was that his friends used to say Merimee used to indulge in one emotion a year. So uh, quite a, a buttoned-up sort of character. And uh, both of them Frenchmen, and both are uh, full of that very French love of Spain. For the, the, the French, uh, the Spaniards, the other side of the Pyrenees, were, were much fiercer characters than the, 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 the Frenchmen felt they were. They're, the blood runs hotter in Spain. The men are fiercer, the women are more beautiful, that sort of thing. And so uh, the French, uh, especially in the 19th century, are very, very fond of Spain. And this pair between them produced a heroine who's famous for just being Carmen. You don't really have to go to the opera to know about Carmen. I hope that's true. I'm amongst our students here, have, have you heard of Carmen before you've actually seen the show? Just put your hand up if you've actually heard of her. You see, there are quite a few people there who've heard of her, even if they perhaps haven't seen the show yet. And most of us really sort of know what Carmen looks like. If we see the next slide, um, it's a bit bleached, but she's normally in an orange sort of frock. And if we see the next slide, often in disabille um, and with an essential red flower. So there's usually a flower there. And she really survives any amount of updating. There was a cabaret version of Carmen at the Opera House only last year, and then she looked like that, uh, which is quite unusual. Uh, in a Torridor costume herself, I can see you're straining to see it, Dick. Um, but in the original version, she looked like this. And this is a picture of the original Carmen. And as you see, she hasn't got a flamenco frock on. She's looking rather sultry, and she's got a cigarette. And that's one of the many reasons the opera was a bit of a flop, or rather, it wasn't a huge success. Bizet himself died during the run. And it's thought that the comparative failure of Carmen was one of the factors that hastened his death. He was only 36 when he died. But he left us an immortal heroine, fierce, Spanish, untamable, in a story that really surprised the, the first audience. Um, and I'm not going to give, go through the whole story, partly because I know the students over there know it, and I'm pretty sure most of the grown-ups know it, and you'll pick it up as we go along. But uh, for those of you who just need to be reminded a little bit of Carmen, uh, there are four characters you really need to get in place. Carmen herself, a gypsy, works in a Seville cigarette factory. She's in with smugglers and other low-life characters. Don Jose, the hero, an uptight young man from Basque, the Basque country, in the army, repressed proper, but has only joined the army because before the show, he's killed a man in a quarrel. So he's violent. Uh, there's Mikaela, somebody else from the Basque country, uh, in fact, from the same part of the world as Jose, 
as conservative as he is, and really the girl he should have married, and a Toreador, Escamillo, who's brash, ordinary, and really rather undemanding, a perfect lover for Carmen, really, and one character you never meet, but Don Jose's mother, who's always in the wings and sends letters at crucial moments to keep the plot going. So, some quick one-liners uh, for my panellists. Um, Valentina, when did you first see Carmen? I remember the first time I heard Carmen, which uh, actually, when I discovered uh, my, my great-grandmother's vocal score in her house, it was full of dust, the score, and I just, you know, this kind of yellowish pages, and I opened it, it was like habanera. I was like, hmm, it's interesting. And then I sat at the piano. And that was love at the first time. What a wonderful way to start. (laughs) Goodness me. And and Chloe, when did you first see Carmen? Um, This was actually my first time seeing Carmen. I'd heard of it, this production. I'd heard of it, I'd I'd heard lots of the music. I'd like to say it's got all the heavy hitters. It's got the big bangers of kind of opera music that you'll hear at lots of um, the proms and stuff like that. It was very, very recognisable. So I knew a lot of the music before I came on board. But this is the first time I've actually watched the whole thing. Good heavens. And, And bouncing off from that, Dick, do you think this is a, a good show for a first-timer? Oh, it's the, it's the best. Oh, the best. I mean, <laughs> Carmen is the, the opera to start with, I think. I knew, and lots of people discover Carmen through the hits yep. rather than seeing it on stage. The, the Torrio Dor song is a wonderful tune. Uh, Bizet actually said it was a piece of rubbish. <laughs> he said it was cochonnerie. <laughs> and composers are always wrong about their own music. It's a wonderful hit. Okay. And I think it captures... Uh, uh, Escamillo's character mm-hmm. because do, 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 the Marshall Metro thing yeah. and then <laughs> seduction yeah, the and then on to the next woman Okay. <laughs> well, there you are. That's the sort of show you're going to see, I'm afraid. Um, I want to sort of start with Chloe. Chloe, just tell us quickly what a, a staff director is. So um, a staff director, it might also be known as an assistant director. And you're normally a staff director if you're employed by a building. So you're employed on multiple shows uh, to assist the director. So essentially what you do is your role is part creative uh, in supporting the director in their creative vision and helping them bring it to fruition. They might ask you questions or help you, they might ask you to clarify some bits and see your opinion. But also it comes with a lot of sort of admin. Uh, So you schedule the rehearsals, you make sure everyone who is meant to be there is there. Um, You annotate in the score all of the blocking, which is where people go when you've been rehearsing it and what they're doing. So that if next time you come back to rehearsal and someone goes, oh, what am I meant to be doing here? You can go, at this point you did this. Um, But yeah, it's sort of, it's half, it's mainly just supporting the artistic process and making sure everything happens that's meant to happen. Okay, and um, can you give us an idea of of what we're going to see on stage? Could I see the next slide, actually? Because there is... Um, yes, well, there's... This is a running theme. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is the Eno Carmen. Anyway, t- tell us what, what they're going to see when they, when they see the stage. So the first thing that you'll see uh, is a very, uh, actually quite a sparse staging with just a, uh, f- a flagpole in the centre stage. Uh, and uh, to the left, when you see the stage, you'll see a telephone booth. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, amazing. Oh, actually, this is Carmen on a car. There are cars throughout the this one. as well. 
that's it. That's it, there we go. Yeah. Um, so you'll initially see uh, through uh, the darkness after... The initial introduction is actually a man called Lilas Pastia who uh, introduced the show with something that I think is one of my favourite bits of staging in the whole show, uh, where he reveals uh, a magic trick that, uh, you, that kind of sets up the whole show where you see what you think is about to happen and then something completely different happens. Uh, but here what we see is, uh, after Lilas Pastia, is uh, a marching parade of soldiers in the heat of the sun uh, and a man running around the stage with a rifle. So what Calixto's done in this staging is he's really set up the oppressive heat and the, the nature of the, what these soldiers and these people are going through, which is regimented and uh, intense and full of all the ingredients that you need for a really fiery production. And the man running round and round and round, I, I presume he's being punished, is he? He is being punished by a man called Morales. And Morales is uh, the, uh, I think he's a corporal? But he is one of the uh, guards who are in charge. And he has clearly punished this man in a very humiliating and degrading way. So it really sets up the kind of... Uh, very aggressive, uh, toxic masculinity way of punishing people in this area. Okay, and just before I leave you, Chloe, it doesn't look very like Seville. <laughs> <That's> um, <laughs> funny enough. Tell me that. Why, 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 aren't, why aren't we in Seville? Is it, how Spanish is this? So Calixto Bieto has uh, transferred this production uh, from Seville uh, and the Andalusian heartland and taken it to North Africa, to what we think is the Moroccan border, uh, which is sort of the last bastion of the French, uh, sorry, the Spanish Empire. Uh, so no, it's not in Seville. Okay. <laughs> but um, there are definitely still many Spanish themes that are still there. We've still got uh, some flamenco dresses. We've got um, uh, lots of uh, we've got sort of the traditional gypsies, and uh, there are definitely you will see themes of Spain throughout. We'll come back to that. And the big ball. <laughs> a very big ball indeed. Um, now. Richard Langham-Smith, who's, who's known as Dick, so I'm, I'm going to go on to call, I'm going to call oh, you Dick from now on. Ricardo. Oh, Ricardo, is easy. Um, is hot foot from handing in the corrected proofs of a completely revised edition of Carmen. Um, presumably it's a Peter's edition, is it, Dick? Mm. Um, can you... I mean, this is something you do. You, 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 you've been um, editing Carmen for, for a great deal of your professional <coughs> life. About 20 years, yeah. What draws you to the work? The first thing that drew me was a phone call from Peters uh, <laughs> saying, would you like to go to Paris and suss out whether a new edition of Carmen would be viable? Mm -hmm. And that was because of Peter Moores, who was put on a lot of productions here in English. Yes. He was the English. And I thought, great, yes, that's interesting. And I, uh, what I thought was I would like to see how it was done originally. So I, I went to Paris and looked at the staging manuals and the first thing I saw was that Carmen, when she was being interrogated, tra la 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 la, yeah. first of all, she sings uh, insultingly to her interrogator. And then she takes a deep breath from her cigarette and blows it in his face. And I thought, great, there's a lot of drama there. That is a wonderful moment. Okay. So that set me off, really. And, and do you think this is quite a realistic opera, then? Uh, it was considered to be very realistic. Right. Because in the first run, which was 1875 to about 1898, yeah. uh, that was pretty much 
an Andalusian sort of thing with the gypsies, with castanets, a lot of castanets. It was called, somebody said you should call this opera L'Amour or Castanet. Okay. And uh, then the second run done by Albert Carrier, he actually went to Spain because he wanted to make it even more Spanish. And the costumes were, were um, imitated from the soldiers, from the guard, Guardia okay. Civil and all that. And that was the era when flamenco had sort of begun yeah. because originally for Bizet there is no flamenco in the opera whatsoever because it didn't exist. And so it was the, the Bolero school yes. of the Boleros and Segadillas and those things, uh, uh, Segadilla, Bolero, mm. Tiranas, Waltzes, all that kind of thing. So it's sort of pre-flamenco. But then it became associated with all those skirts. Yes. And the skirts which were worn by the cigarette makers who were flouncy skirts and a thing called a manton, which they all wore. Yeah. And we have pictures of that. You see, the thing is, I think, that um, one sees a traditional Carmen now and thinks, how picturesque, how sweet, we're in opera land. But actually, the Spaniards did actually look like that in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. So it was actually, it was realistic even if you get the prettiness, it's still mm -hmm. fairly Spanish, isn't it? Um, what strikes me about Carmen when I'm thinking about uh, the music, and this is for, for, for you, Dick, and indeed for Valentina, um, is the sheer fecundity of Bizet's imagination. There seems so much in the score. I mean, extra bits like intermezzos or a patter quintet or things you don't expect to suddenly, you know, just, just burst yeah, out at you. Yeah, just open up all the, you know, your imagination about this word, which is a sound word. This is so specific. But actually, I think it's more, more than being a place like, you know, Spain or Northern Africa, it's actually is a French way to see the the Far East or something that is imaginary somewhere else because actually the score is quite traditional in a way. So there are phrases of four bars and so it's all harmonically it's stable. There's nothing absolutely crazy, but the taste of it overall it's really special. And because you have the castanets and you have the percussions, and then you have the, sometimes some notes are a bit like seductive. You have the, the second, which is augmented second, and then you have the fourth, which is a bit uh, wider than the fourth. And then, so you have these kind of seductive way to use the elements that actually, that sounds so incredibly charming, but actually they are very traditional. Okay, so um, it's almost exotic in some yes. ways. Yes. Yes, yes. And, and, I mean, why are there so many editions of Carmen Dick? Is it because Bizet died young, or, or what is that? A lot of people realised it was quite lucrative, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other one is the languages, because it was uh, done in Italian first in London, and it was done in English subsequently, and the American market did it in English, and the French score. Um, there were lots of versions and cuts and things that actually happened. And of course, the instruments have changed because the horns in those days, now that we have horns all in one key with valves, there they had a whole load of plumbing, which they had to change quickly between the, the numbers. But Bizet knew that horns actually could make a really nasty noise. 
And he would use that sometimes to create a feel of menace. And the modern horns, it's a bit like Dutch cheese. These days, Dutch cheeses are all the same size in a supermarket. The notes on a horn would go in a scale with different tones for each one. And Bizet was masterful at that. Where, where in, in the opera do we hear the horns? Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and those two, those two notes on an old uh, open horn, uh, Bizet knew exactly how to choose them. I, I always call that the fate motif, do you, Valentina? Mm. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, yes. It's three things. It's fate, yes. it's death, and it's gypsy. Because it's actually on the scale that was known as the gypsy scale, which List, in his book on gypsies, told you how to do it. And I think Bizet might have read that. That is the most exotic thing, do you think, Valentina? You know, that, that scale. And when it comes in at the end, and when Carmen actually comes in, you listen out for this, when Carmen comes in, it's her motive, speed it up. And then at the end, you get the brass underneath it and the trombones uh, telling you that during the card game that death is putting its mantle over the show, as okay. it were. That's, that's very interesting. The, um, I'm just going to pick up Carmen coming in. Um, one is always waiting for Carmen to make her entrance. Where's Carmen? Where's Carmen? Everybody says on stage. Mm. And then, then you get this little motif and there she is. Tell us how she comes in, Chloe. Ah, uh, it's the trade secret. Oh, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Carmen, make, Carmen makes a surprise appearance within the telephone box, uh, and she oh. uh, appears in the telephone box very subtly, so you'll have to keep a really careful eye out to see if you can spot her going in. But I, I, she, I've watched it six times. I still, <laughs> I still can't see it happen. It's a wonderful yeah. moment where you sort of the stage suddenly illuminates, and we suddenly our attention is just drawn instantly to the telephone box, which is lit up, and you suddenly see her when they say, "Where is she? There she is! There she is! We have found Carmen Sita!" Boom! It's amazing. <laughs> I was just um, about to say, actually, on the back of Dick's point, uh, with that the fate motif that you were speaking about, me and uh, Jamie, who is the uh, revival director who I assisted, whenever we would play that, they would play that motif, we would knock on the table for that, oh, yeah. uh, for the dom, dom, because we always thought it sounded like fate's hands knocking mm. on the door. <laughs> um, and uh, quickly, while I'm still thinking of Carmen and, and really traditional things about Carmen, what about her flower? She has got a flower on her, has she? She does have a flower on why, her. Why does she have to have a flower, Chloe? So the flower is, um, it's, it's called, she refers to it as the witch's flower, and it's a traditional flower um, that uh, was associated with a kind of old magic that would uh, theoretically uh, cause the holder, she, would, she wiped her sweat with the flower, and the person who she would give it to would fall in love. Oh, mm. so it's had a potion attached to it. Yes, a sort of, oh. yeah. Old school magic. I see. There was no dried flower in your grandmother's score of Carmen, was there? No, I think. Now, I, I it want... wasn't red. Was it not red? No. The flower is one of the most misunderstood uh, things because it is a cassis, a fleur de cassis. Well, it's not a bunch of black currants, cassis, yeah. because who would throw at their lover a bunch yeah. of black currants? No. And it is not an acacia. Acacia, it is a cassia flower, which is actually a very common, almost a weed flower. And when, uh, this is in the original really, when uh, she throws it at everybody, everybody, all her mates, roar with laughter. Uh, 
because actually he doesn't realize she's throwing a sort of weed. In fact, the cassis flower could have a hidden meaning because it is the flower of the cenopod. Now, some of you may know what a cenopod is, but it, it's a very fierce laxative. <laughs> so old Don Jose, on his diet of hake and potatoes, might have needed a little help evacuating. I see. I think we won't go down that particular entrancing highway, though. But, um... It's in my forthcoming book. Oh. Yes. <laughs> um, Valentino, you've got some wonderful crits for this run. I can't resist quoting The Guardian here. Uh, the highlight of this performance, I think some of the singers might slightly uh, wonder about that, um, came from the pit, conducted by Valentina Peleggi with immense energy and decisiveness. A feather light in the Seguidila, beautifully sculpted woodwind solos in the atmospheric opening of Act Three, and constantly minutely sensitive to the shifts of dramatic temperature on stage throughout. Now, that's a wonderful crit. It's also astonishing because we are talking about the biggest theatre in London and possibly one of the most difficult pits, isn't it? How do you manage to get such delicacy in our great barn of a theatre? Well, you have to consider also always what is in the score, right? And in the score in that moment of the Segudilla is written a 3P, pianissimo as possible. So Carmen is a score of uh, extremes in terms of themes, in terms of emotions, and in terms of dynamics. So you can go from four, I think the, the minimum is four P in the clarinet, after the when she speaks with, uh, with Zuniga, four P to three F, and sometimes you have a range of one bar to go to these extremes. So I think it's, a, it's always a challenge because it's such a big theater mm. that you have, of course, to, to balance what is actually possible and, and, you know, because the singers on stage are really far from the pit. And it depends also from the staging, but sometimes they are quite far, so they really need to always feel um, sustained by the sound. So what, do you think, what do you think of his orchestration? Do you, find, do you think he's a wonderful orchestrator? I think it's challenging sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's uh, it's um, it gives a lot to think in terms of practicality. I think it's more theoretical. You can see from this from the page exactly what he was thinking. Uh, I think sometimes it it's more theoretical than practical, but it's absolutely sometimes it's visual, and sometimes he wrote feroce, like ferocious, and or no, I don't think he never says violent, but he says ferocious or with great emphasis. So he really s s marks the score in a way that it's. Like, I don't know, he's like, uh, I used score, to mark yes. my score a lot with colors, but I think he would the same. He was like, more, 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 and he, 3F, no more, ferocious, oh, no more, fortissimo. Like, yeah, never I, enough. T tell me, I mean, it's such a well-known score. I mean, have you found something new in it this time around? Do you want to find something new in, in, in this score? You know, Sarah, this is a very, uh, this is an excellent question, and it's a question that I ask myself every time. Okay. Um, I think it's a very uh, dangerous question in a way for us that we interpreter. Mm. Because uh, I don't think we have to find something new. I think we have to, f 
to make it real, which is very subtle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because otherwise, if you want to find something new, then you, you force things. And your vision, you put your own vision, your own imagination before other things. What, what is in the score is already a lot. It, it's everything in there. You, your big, our big challenge is just to make it life, to give your soul, to give your blood. When, when we do Carmen, we don't play Carmen, we are Carmen. Oh. It's, re it's, really, it's really different, yes, yes. because one thing is just you play and you sing, one thing is that you become it. When I, when I stand there and conduct, I give blood. I, at the end, I'm exhausted. I mean, I, I think, oh, oh my God, I have other nine performances. I don't know how, because I am drained. Wow. So it, I don't think we have to find new things. We have to give all our heart, all our mm, brain, to make it real. Was that a surprise to you as you started rehearsing Carmen, how much it took you over like that? Uh, I realized it on the first performance. Did you? Yes, until the dress rehearsal. You know, still my brain was there and balancing. Then at the first performance, I let everything I had. And I, I, at the end of the fourth act, I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. When I finally, you know, he killed him. And I, the last, the last chord, and then I, I felt like, drawn down, it was like collapsed. Good heavens, <coughs> and, and uh, it, there's your orchestra, and, and they too are feeling a lot of this um, raw music, are they, as, as they're playing? I, I'm, one looks at a pit and thinks, here they go again. But, but, but are, they? Are, they, are, they, are they in the moments with you? They are absolutely are phenomenal musicians, and what is really fan fantastic is that there is a connection. So they are really th giving their heart. Mm -hmm. And at the end, they are really, it's like, tremolo, ferocissimo, pianissimo, and then they jump again in the music. And at the end, they're really like, they make the emotions for the characters. They are the soul, you know, the, the music, the orchestra gives the soul to a character. The dynamo, yes, yeah. yes, I can well believe. Goodness, that's a wonderful answer. And a, a really mundane question is, <laughs> Where are your woodwinds? Are they in front of you or on the sides of the pit? Where, where this is a good them? question. Sometimes it depends from the theatre. Yes. Um, in this theatre, the woodwinds are in front, uh, in front of me. So there are the first row, strings, and then there are the woodwinds. In Italy, it's very common to have the woodwinds at the side. Yes. So they can always have, you know, just it depends from the repertoire. Okay, and do you decide that or is, is the... Does the pit manager sort of? Usually, if uh, you know, uh, they, if they are used to this, this is uh, this uh, disposition. Yes, yes, yes. So it makes them comfortable, and you know, it's they know this place better than me. I mean, they 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 work here every day. Uh, so I, you, I tend you, you not go, to. You go with the formation you're yes. given. Yeah, coming, drawing ourselves back into the show itself. Chloe, can you tell us something about, there are so many sorts of ways of playing Carmen. How do we play it in, in this production? <coughs> the, so the, the, the character herself. So I think uh, the Carmen that Calixto has really built and the Carmen that um, I think definitely me and Jamie uh, have, in, have interpreted it as, uh, is that she, she wants to be free. She's, she wants to be free of the prejudice and free of the sort of sexual exploitation that we see from the men and the war, the war animalism around her. Um, and I think it's, it's, 
I, it's, she's a very conflicted Carmen, who uh, on the one hand is desperate to find what she considers true love. Uh, and she's constantly searching for this true love and this, this love that she doesn't really know what it really is that she's looking for. Because when we meet Don Jose, he says he's willing to give everything to her. He'll, as long as she loves him, he will do whatever for her. Mm. Um, and then as, we, as his character develops and we see more and more that he is a man who needs regime, who needs duty, who needs uh, sort of measures and control around him, she sees that as a complete rejection of the true love that she's looking for and throws her hands up and says, fine, I'm, I don't want anything to do with you. And he's there saying, but I'll give you whatever you need. I just, this is something I cannot do. So I think she's an incredibly conflicted and dynamic character. And um, Justina, who, uh, Gringite, who plays her, has, this is actually her fourth time really? doing this character, Carmen. Uh, and I think something that, can, that bounces off what Valentina was saying, which is really interesting as us as a creative team and uh, them as performers, if they've done the part before, is that because this is a revival, we are also trying to find truth in the original production. Um, because it's all there. Calixto's production is amazing. And I think what's, what we must try and do as directors um, is to try and sort of find the intentions and uh, feed them back to the performers as if they're new. Give them new, uh, feed these ideas that are already here for us and find ways to make them feel like breadcrumbs that they're finding for themselves so that every intention, every feeling and emotion feels real and grounded. And I know for Justina, I've spoken to her about this, and I say, what, it's like, what is it like playing this Carmen for the fourth time? And she goes, well, I'm, I'm a different Justina than I was when I played it in oh. 2015, or when I played it in 2012, I think was the, the other time. And uh, she did it once in 2012, twice in 2015, and this is her fourth time. And she goes, I'm a different person, and this is a different Carmen. Oh, okay. Valentina, is there a certain Carmen voice? Oh, yes. Oh, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carmen... Well, first, is a mezzo, which is quite unusual. Uh, mezzo is not only a matter of uh, range, vocal range, is a color. So Carmen, in her soul, there is something dark, which is reflected in her voice. Um, but also, is a very interesting, interesting uh, choice for a composer, because uh, it's normally the, the prima donna is a soprano. That's it. And then she, you know, normally she sings her love duet with the tenor. That's the history of opera. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a soprano, there's a tenor, it's a love duet, and there's something, uh, and then someone die probably or not. <laughs> and then there is the bass, uh, which is, you know, so, or the baritone, who is the bad guy. And then maybe there is a, if there is any alto, yeah. there might be an old woman or a prostitute. Yeah. That's it. These are the rules. Very simple. And everybody knows that when the soprano have a duet with a tenor, mm, something is going to happen. It's good. So the first time that, uh, that actually uh, Carmen, which is a, a mezzo, is doing a duet with a tenor, that, you know, it, there's something weird. It's, they're not meant to be together vocally, because usually... I mean, the soprano, the tenor needs the soprano, which is Michaela. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the universal laws of opera says that the perfect match with Don Jose is Michaela. That's it. And interestingly enough, the only moment where um, 
we hear the, the words I love you, uh, je t'aime, is between um, Carmen, the mezzo, and Escamillo, the baritone, which is the perfect match vocally. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that, you know... Really, yes. Really In fact, I would have thought the original choices. audience when Michaela came on, we thought, ah, oh, the heroine. Yeah. And then there'd been a duet, and if you listen to the duet, it's actually goodbye, homeland, goodbye, mum, it's all over. It's yeah. not a duet at all, is it? But Which is actually a creation yeah. of Bizet, it, because Michaela yes. didn't exist in the, yeah. in the Mary May story. Yes. It was created by the librettist and uh, Bizet himself to counter, counterbalance this power of, uh, yes. of Carmen to have a, a positive female, let's say, role, yeah. And, and, and Dick, um, tell us about Don José, because to me he's the typical French tenor. Well, yes, the part is, uh, he hasn't got a, really a tune. Oh. Everybody else in the opera has a, a tune of some sort. Michaela has her lovely floating thing, which always makes me a little... And, uh, and Escamillo's song is so powerful and comes in several times, as does hers. And, but Don Jose, no, not really. Not even the flower song, you feel it's not memorable. Well, the enough. flower song is gorgeous, but it's a sort of set piece. Mm. It never comes back and it's never hinted at before. Mm. I think, you see, the flower song has a little bit of irony because he is, like many of the others, perhaps including Carmen, he's away from home. He's been exported down to this funny land, Andalusia. He doesn't understand the vegetation. He thinks they're all, the women are really strange. And the funny thing is that Carmen may actually come from the north herself. Why else does she speak in the novella? She speaks fluent yeah. Basque. Yeah. And she, you don't just learn Basque. I mean, it's terribly difficult. She must know it somehow. And she has a big joke in the novella with, yeah, with yeah. Um, an officer. And she tells him that a maquila, which is actually a, a walking stick sharpened at the end, which is what Don Jose used. He was fighting and he murdered a, a fellow Basque at tennis with one of these nasty weapons. And the officer says, what are they talking about? What's a maquila? And um, Carmen says, oh, it's an orange. Would you like a glass of orange juice? <laughs> so there, there is some very strange stuff that goes on. But your question about Don Jose, of course, in the novella, he is just about to be garroted. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which is a very nasty business. And some productions, I don't think this one has a death of Don Jose no. afterwards, no. no. But I have seen it where... Don Jose is, is shot or hung at I the see. end in a mime after the last act. Yes. Yes, at the Opera House, he, he starts off in a prison cell, doesn't yeah. he? In the, yeah, yeah. I, I was just interested in Don Jose because as he, as when she says, you don't love me, um, and he thinks, wait a minute, I'm a French tenor. I can handle this. I can do a set piece with long, flowing, sincere <laughs> phrases, which every French tenor's got in his hip pocket, hasn't it? <laughs> I will do this, and she, and for a minute, she almost believes it. It's a flower song, you mean? Yes, yeah. yes, I think so. But I mean, as a character, if, he, if it's as a musical person, perhaps he's a little conventional. As a character, surely Chloe, he's nothing of the sort, is he? No, <laughs> I wouldn't say he. I think. There is a conventional nature to him, but um, I f uh, this interpretation feels like the conventions are ones that he feels like he has to buy into. He's been sent to this bastion in order to um, 
in order to avoid his death. And also, there's a sense that he, enjo- he feels like he needs the control and he needs the conventions and the, regiment, uh, the regimentedness of uh, the barracks in order to um, uh, find peace and to... Uh, I'm trying to think of the word... Uh, to make good what he's done in terms of killing this previous man. Okay, and almost when, reparation. Yes, yeah. and when yeah. his um, mother writes to him, uh, and uh, Michaela hands him this letter from his mother, which we are not 100% sure is true, whether or not his mother has actually written this letter, there's a sense of maybe it could be that Michaela has actually yeah. secretly written this. It feels like she knows to tap into his... Uh, into sort of the sweet spot of his heart and try and get on his good side is to write to him saying, your mum's forgiven you. You're doing so well here at the barracks. So oh, okay. there's yeah. a sense that this conventionality is is more a cover or him trying to... Yeah, so to, he, he could explode. Yeah, yeah. and any minute yeah. now you feel like he's a sort of ticking time bomb. We see these flashes of the man that killed another man. Um, now, listen, we're, we're, we're coming out of time annoyingly. Um, Valentina, is there anything in the score... Anything in the show that you'd, you'd like them to hear, that they want, you'd like them to listen out for? Oh, there's one thing that I really love is, um, is the interlude to Act 4. So you will, you will see. You will more than hear. You will see when something... Can I spoil it? <laughs> yes, because actually... So there will be yes. a big, huge bull on scene. And the moment it will... Can I spoil it, really? It Go fails. <laughs> <laughs> Just it crashes, uh, and the moment it crashes, starts this uh, interlude, which is unbelievable. Just a yandra dan 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 dan. It's just so amazing. Wow! Just, wow. Yes. So, so that's yes. that for you is, is the I big love moment. That moment. Yes, yeah. Chloe. What do you think is, is something we should look out for? Um, I think actually, because uh, it links quite nicely into this, one of the most amazing things about the production is the Alphonse Flores design for it, uh, and uh, what Clix has done, which I think is incredible is he makes these huge grand gestures like big impressionist paint strokes in his direction um you see the structure of the chorus and the way they make these big impressive lines across the stage or for example the bull falling they're really grand gestures and one of my favorite things is the lighting for this set um and just before we see the bull uh, in the um on track to act three there's a really beautiful moment where we see a toreador practicing in naked in the darkness, which is a tradition. Uh, The night before a fight, he would practice in the field, um, completely naked, his routine. And it's lit by one single light in the upstage corner. And it is so beautiful. Yes, it is. Oh, uh, that's marvellous. Thank you. And, Dick, what's your favourite moment in Carmen? My favourite moment is when Don Jose is alone with Carmen, about to make love with her, probably. And um, suddenly you hear the orchestra in the background the bugles playing military music. Yeah. And that's when uh, Don Jose, you said he was confused. That's absolutely, sums it up. Oh, should I stay with Carmen or I have honor uh, for, the, for the regiment? Mm. And Carmen uh, cracks a joke. She said, oh, the orchestra's turned up. I like to have an orchestra to sing to, mm-hmm. which makes him even crosser. Yes, yes. Because he's totally... T- and then she throws his, all his weaponry in his hat at him. And he, he, but then there's a knock at the door, or the fatal knock, mm-hmm. because that has sealed his fate. He gets... His anger rises. I mean, the opera really, like Pelias and Melisande, should be called Golo. 
Okay. This opera really should be called Don Jose mm. because it's all about his complex, his jealousy uh, and, and the rest of it. He's just as interesting, really, oh, yes. in what he can't yes. do as Carmen herself. Yes. It's, it's such a great opera because the only other opera I know is Pelias and Melisande of Debussy. And both of them, you can peel them like an onion, but they'll grow again. There'll be something else that Marvelous will grow around. So there's always a new interpretation, something new to be discovered. Valentina, you looked to say you wanted to say something. Oh, I was just uh, telling that it is. Actually, you, you're so right, because actually Don José is the only character in Bizet's score that is developing. The other characters stay more or less the same, but he's the one that starts like an innocent guy and a good guy and then <coughs> starts his... Uh, journey to the dark side. I mean, the other characters mm -hmm. stay more or less the same. Marvellous. Well, let's, um, let's, um, Chloe, favourite moment from the show? My favourite moment from the show is the uh, top of act two, the gypsy song where we see a car drive on stage and it's Lila's Pastia's. Uh, traditionally, it's a party in a tavern, but this tavern is actually a beat-up BMW that drives to the outskirts of the, uh, of the city to the, into the desert, and they have a great 3 a.m. party with lots of booze and dancing. Okay. Um, and Valentina? Um, I would like to offer a curiosity. So, uh, something that I actually just discovered. I read some uh, uh, letters that, doing, uh, that were uh, exchanged during the um, rehearsal process. And I'm sure, I'm sure you know that. So basically what happened is that the chorus of the Opera Comique uh, got absolutely crazy. They refused, when they received the score, they refused to sing because they, they, they said that is completely just impossible to do it, not because of the, of the music writing, because Bizet, for the first time in the history of, of the opera, he asked to act. So until that moment, until Carmen, the chorus uh, on the scene for operas, they just stand like oratorium. They just stand there and sang. For the first time, Bizet was asking to the choir to sing, to memorize it, so just no, no score, and then act. There is a moment of the fight in the first act of the, um, of the women's fight, and they're running on stage. So they're really asked on the score to act, to just you know, run and things while they're singing. And, and the chorus refused with a letter to the intendant of the theater, just, just as impossible, this is impossible, but it's not impossible. Good heavens. <laughs> That's true. There and they have to fight, sorry. don't yes, they? Yes, they do. Because the they two do. factions of women yeah. have to sort of fight and tear each other. The Mezzos yeah. and Sopranos very much enjoyed our first rehearsal of that. They were oh, ready. They, they were like, <laughs> we're ready, we know who we're going <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, that dreadful vision of the Eno chorus beating each other up, um, I think we'll wind but up. But they were wonderful. Yeah, they love each other, really. Um, uh, Valentina, Chloe and Dick, thank you so much. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.